Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Hi guys, thanks for joining for our midweek devotion, and we are in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 today, and before we begin, let me lead us in prayer. God, we thank you for this day, we thank you for your word, for your spirit, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, and show us, Lord, how you'd have us to apply this to our lives, so that through us, you would be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you again for tuning in uh, for this week's study, and our devotion today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where it begins by saying, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So, before we move on here, Paul's talking about food that was sacrificed to idols and whether or not it's okay for a Christian to go to a market and buy food, uh, buy meat that had been sacrificed to idols and take that home and eat it. Uh, because again, there's a concern, is this going to, uh, is there something spiritually connected to this meat? Is it okay to eat or not? And so he throws this in here where he says, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So he's including in here how Jesus summarizes the commandments of saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not just vertical in my love for Jesus, but also horizontal in my love for others. And what he's addressing here is the Corinthians having a knowledge and kind of getting arrogant about that knowledge. Uh, they could say, well, it's my right. Uh, I know that I'm not participating in any kind of pagan worship. Uh, I know that this meat doesn't have anything to do with any kind of spiritual devotion. It's just meat, and so I'm going to eat it. Nobody can tell me otherwise. But he says in verse 4, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. So Paul's conceding here to say, look, this... Food was sacrificed to idols. Now, again, the reason he's addressing this is because there's tension within the Corinthian church. There are some Corinthian believers who say all these other gods are nothing, uh, There's so there's nothing to this food. It's fine to eat. Uh, I don't know what your problem is. 
But there's another segment of the Corinthian church saying, man, that's just, it's just a bad idea. It's uh, really uncomfortable that you're doing that. So Paul's conceding in verse four, say, look, yeah, these gods that this food is being sacrificed to, they, they, they don't exist. There's nothing to them. Uh, and so in that, uh, you know, verse five, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things through whom all are all things and through whom we exist. So let me try to put it this way. Let's say, uh, and this is going back to when I had kids, uh, they would watch the Teletubbies on PBS, uh, those weird alien creatures with televisions in their stomachs. So they're just people in costumes, but let's say that I made the red Teletubby. I think it was Poe. It's kind of sad that I still know that. Uh, let's say that I worshipped Poe, the Teletubby, and every day I took a steak and grilled that steak as an offering to my Teletubby god, Poe. Now, that steak, that there's nothing to it because... Poe's a children's TV character. Uh, there's nothing there at all. The, the food that was sacrificed, there's nothing spiritually connected to it at all. It was just some stupid delusion in my head, basically. So Paul's saying, look, the only God there is, is the God in heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if someone's going to grill a steak as a worship offering to the Teletubby Poe, there's nothing there because Poe's not real and it's not a real sacrifice. But he follows that up with verse 7 in saying, however, not all possess this knowledge. So he's saying, for some people, this they don't realize that these other gods don't exist and worship a uh, food sacrifice to, see, to these gods are irrelevant. So it says, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So Paul's saying, look, some of you um, used to worship these false gods. Um, yes, they're false. Yes, they don't actually exist. But some of you uh, used to make sacrifices to these gods and used to eat the meat as an act of worship to these gods. And so Paul says, for some of you, this is an issue. Uh, even though th th these gods were nothing, for some of you, there, there's something deep there. There's something going on there. And eating this food is going to give you spiritual problems because you used to offer this as a religious sacrifice. And so to eat this food now uh, is going to bring you back to that place. And Paul's being aware of that and sensitive to it. Now... He says there, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. So, a couple interesting points here that Paul makes. Number one, it, it can almost sound, and there's kind of a, a pharisaical ring to it, for these Corinthian believers to say, no good Christian would eat meat sacrificed to an idol. Uh, that is wrong. That is no place among anyone who is a Christian. But notice where Paul says that 
that's the result of a weak conscience. That it, it's not a from a place of spiritual maturity, it's from a place of spiritual weakness. But then he goes on in verse 8 to say, look, it, eating certain things isn't going to commend you to God, and abstaining from certain foods isn't going to commend you to God, because ultimately God's concerned about your heart and not just about what you eat or drink. But he does say in verse 9, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So what Paul's saying here is, look, okay, maybe you're in a spiritually mature place. You know that these other gods are nothing, and you know that food sacrificed to these nothing gods is irrelevant, and so you have no problem eating it. Uh, you go to the market and you buy a discounted steak because it was offered to an idol. You just got a good price on a steak, and you're just taking it home to enjoy the steak. I'm just using uh, an illustration that we'd all recognize. But he is conceding here of saying, for some of you in the church, that's that's kind of a big deal. Uh, th that's kind of a, a make or break deal. Now, he's saying that this is from a place of spiritual immaturity, but he also advises in verse 9, just because that person from a place of spiritual weakness thinks that it's a big deal, he's not saying, okay, so scold them and, and let them know that they're wrong and, and lecture them and debate them about it. He simply says in verse 9, Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So, in verse, uh, let me go to verse 10 first. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, Paul was a big advocate. We see this coming up in some other situations where he wants to remove stumbling blocks. And so the conclusion Paul addresses here, because again, we've got Corinthian believers who are fighting, arguing about this, of whether or not they're allowed to eat the meat sacrificed to idols. So Paul says, look, if you have a problem with it, that's actually a sign of spiritual weakness. But that being said, if you are at a place spiritually where it, it doesn't affect you, it's fine, you, know, you have no problem with it. Be aware, he said, that if you're eating that, you know, you have a bunch of friends from church over or the church meets at your house and you're grilling up these steaks that have been sacrificed to idols and somebody there uh, used to be involved in that and in a moment of weakness as they smell that steak on the barbecue, they, they have some of it and then all of a sudden they have this guilty conscience and they feel like they've sinned against God. Paul says, that's on you. You put them in that spot. Now, do they have anything to feel guilty about? No. But in their heart, uh, you've now caused them to stumble. And that's on you, Paul says. So what he's saying there for his conclusion of verse 13 is he'll just never eat it uh, so that it's never an issue. Now, that doesn't necessarily have to be the mandate for everybody. But be aware of how our actions, how our behaviors are perceived by others, and to not do anything deliberately to make somebody stumble, to make somebody fall. 
because there's a lot of things that you know are okay for a Christian to do. Uh, let's say, uh, you know, for example, there are a lot of Christians who say, you know, the Bible never says it's wrong to drink any alcohol. It says it's wrong to get drunk, but it doesn't say there's anything wrong with drinking alcohol. You know, a glass of wine uh, with dinner or a beer at the end of the day, the Bible never says that's wrong. There's other Christians who consuming any alcohol in any way, shape, or form is a sin. It's wrong. Now, we can argue about who's right, who's wrong, but Paul doesn't even go there. He says, look, if it's going to make your brother stumble, don't do it in front of them. Okay, if, if you're having a home Bible study and there's people from church at that home Bible study for whom any presence of alcohol is sinful, don't have a beer, don't have a glass of wine while they're over for the Bible study. Uh, save it for when they're not around. Don't, don't do it in front of them to make them stumble or don't pressure them. To, don't try to convince them it's okay for them to have one. Um, again, the, there's some convictions uh, that may be off base, but it, if it's a conviction somebody has and causing them to compromise that conviction is, is on us as believers. And so Paul wants these Corinthian believers to say, hey, be considerate of each other. Uh, it, it's not simply a matter of, well, I know that I'm okay with God. And so if you have a problem with that, that's your problem. Paul says, no, that's actually your problem. Uh, if somebody has a problem with how you're living out your spirituality, uh, if you're doing something that's going to cause them to stumble or be an issue for them, Paul holds you accountable for that. And so I think that's something for us to consider as we uh, think about our lives and what are some issues that can create a stumbling block for people, can cause people to uh, backslide, can cause people to wrestle with guilt that they don't need to be wrestling with. And again, sometimes we've, as Western Christians, we've done an amazing job of making our faith journey very private, uh, very personal. And this is how I worship God, and that's all that matters, and it doesn't matter if you have a problem with it. Paul says, be considerate of those who are journeying with you, and don't do anything, even though you've got the freedom to do it, uh, even though here they have the freedom to eat meat sacrificed to idols, even though we have the freedom... It doesn't mean that we should use it in a way that's going to cause problems for other believers. Does that make sense? Uh, so it, it would help us to think through our lives and evaluate, are there things that I'm doing or ways that I'm expressing myself or ways that I've worked out my own salvation with fear and trembling that if somebody has such a strong disagreement that it's going to cause them spiritual fits, I should just keep that between me and God and not impose that or not flaunt that in front of that other believer. So I think there's a lot of, I don't want to get into specifics and uh, lead us uh, off track on that, but there may be things that are okay uh, for you in your life. Uh, I think about my life, uh, just in closing, when I began to follow Jesus, uh, one of the areas that was really a stronghold in my life was some of the music I was listening to. Uh, at the time, I was very much into heavy metal and uh, late 80s heavy metal with bands that just sang about uh, drugs, sex, that kind of stuff. And my youth pastor, after I started following Jesus, my youth pastor pulled me aside and said, uh, you're not going to grow in your relationship with Jesus until you get rid of that stuff. And I did. And now, fast forward many, many years, and... 
I'm not deliberately trying to listen to music that's glorifying sex and drugs, but I don't listen to exclusively Christian music. Uh, there's a lot of secular music that I do listen to, um, and it doesn't affect me spiritually. But for other people, it does affect them. So I want to be aware of that. And if they're in the car with me, I don't want to just turn on uh, whatever music. I, I want to put on music that is going to be conducive for both of us. Uh, I'm not, you know, maybe they have a big problem with jazz music. Uh, I love jazz music. I love Miles Davis. Uh, was Miles Davis a godly example of a man? No, uh, but I love his music. But if listening to Miles Davis is an issue for somebody, I'm not going to play it while they're in the car with me. Uh, I'll put on some worship music. Uh, so I'm not going to let my freedom cause somebody else to stumble or give somebody else fit. So just one example of uh, a way that that might be helpful. Uh, and, you know, I, I could very easily be in a place where secular music still does impact me negatively. And if that's the case, I really wouldn't appreciate it if another Christian's like, oh, you're fine, man, just listen to it, because it could really cause me fits. Uh, so hopefully those are uh, a little example of how there may be things that we have freedom to do as Christians, but it doesn't mean that we should do it in front of other Christians because for that other Christian, it could really be a stumbling block. Uh, if you have tattoos and there's somebody who is really bothered by a Christian having tattoos, um, just try to keep them covered up when you're around them. Um, just because you don't want to make them stumble. Uh, you could say, well, you know, you're off base. That's old covenant stuff you're, you're quoting and there's nothing wrong with tattoos. Um, you could do that, but is that the way of love? And so again, that's why Paul begins this passage by summarizing that the two greatest commandments have to go hand in hand. Yes, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but I can't allow my expression of love for Jesus to negatively impact my brother or sister in Christ. Uh, I still need to keep my love for God and my love for my brothers and sisters going hand in hand. And so if there's freedoms that I enjoy as a Christian that are going to trip somebody else up, I don't want to impose those on them or flaunt those in front of them. Uh, that'll just be something private for me so that I don't create a stumbling block for my brother or sister. So hopefully that makes sense. Uh, there's a lot for us to consider here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, but let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. Uh, but I pray that we wouldn't use that freedom in a way that will cause others to stumble or a way that will cause, cause others to fall away from you. Uh, Lord, let us love you with all of our hearts, yet also love those around us. And Lord, on the flip side of this, I pray that we would not be judgmental or critical of those that we may know who enjoy a freedom that they're allowed to, but maybe a freedom that we don't feel permission to exercise. Uh, may we not try to sit in judgment over them. Lord, help us to demonstrate love one for another. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you again for watching, uh, whether live or if you're watching this at a later time. Thank you so much. And Lord willing, we'll see you back here next week for our next devotion. God bless you.